Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Grund. Kirk and Anthony are here. Hey there, guys. It's been a little bit since our last episode, so we kind of have a, a lot to discuss. Uh, I, I apologize if at any point I sound a little congested during this episode, but that's because I am congested. Uh, I, I'm not at 100%, but you know what? I'm putting in the work, I'm coming in, and I'm doing it for you guys. I'm doing it for you, the people. So <laughs> I'd, I'd appreciate it if you appreciated my hard work as a podcaster. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Uh Thanks. <laughs> so, Anthony, we'll get straight into it. We do have a lot to discuss. Uh, what are we talking about first? First thing we're going to be talking about is a movie that has been getting really good reviews, but I don't think anyone has seen it, and that is the new Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. It's the new hit film starring the hit actors, such as Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez, and um, this was a, a obviously it's it's a franchisey film, right? Dungeons and Dragons. It's a big mm-hmm. game that people have been playing for years now. You know, it's a it's a brand. It's a recognizable sort of thing. Um, it's uh, it's had attempts at cinematic sort of excursions before. You know, famously, there's the Jeremy Irons film from like 2000, 2001, 1999. It's somewhere around there, right? It's, yeah, something it's, like that. It's something where you see it and you're like, this came out around the same, like, after The Phantom Menace? Whew, oh boy, okay. <laughs> That's a lot. But this new film, um, this was something where both both you and I, uh, and, and Ray, I should mention, because I always do, we both looked at this and thought, like, this could be good. You know, when the first trailers were coming out, I thought it looked like it had the potential to be a fun film. And I'm very thankful to say that uh, we were right, because it is a fun film. Yeah, I mean, just for the record, by the way, yeah, the, the Jeremy Irons one was the year 2000, so... 2000, uh, wow. Yeah, that's a long time ago. But uh, yeah, I thought this was a very fun movie. I'm not a huge Middle Earth guy, uh, just not really my thing, but... Not a fantasy guy or anything like that. Yeah, but uh, but I do like ragtag team stories when they're done right, and uh, this is a very good one. It reminded me a little bit of the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, uh, story structure-wise, like a even the main character there's a lovable thief with a tragic backstory it's yeah. there but i had a lot of fun watching this i laughed a lot i think most of all the thing that i loved was the use of both practical makeup and animatronics for the creatures as well as very good cgi i know this had a budget a little closer to like an mcu movie and there was nothing in the movie that i went like oh that looks terrible like there was nothing like yeah. that i thought everything looked good um i mean if more big-budget adventure films were as good as this, I don't know if we'd ever complain about Hollywood again. <laughs> like, it was um, just, you know, I don't think a lot of films would nail the humor in the same way that this film does. Right. Um, yeah, because uh, there were some people that were a little worried, thinking it was like, oh, it's going to be snarky, like Marvel yeah. comedy. And it's like, you can still have likable, you know, comedic characters in your film like the something that i would compare this to is like the mummy or van helsing you know it's it's very much a fun action adventure film you know more akin to pirates of the caribbean than say this like grisly dramatic fantasy film you know there's definitely elements like you said in terms of the the look of the world we've got real life sets Mm -hmm. uh we've got people in costumes there's that that shot where um you know without spoiling anything we've got chris pine and michelle rodriguez and they're like waiting for somebody and they're like sitting in a hallway and it's Mm -hmm. like is this where they shot 
Hogwarts because it looks <laughs> it looks <laughs> yes. exactly the same. Um, yeah. And we you know, we get a, a pretty good joke during that scene too. It's just it's a lot of uh, well, I don't know everything's just so likable about it when like you know talking about all the the characters and the 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 wacky creatures and all that stuff. There's there's a, a charm to it, and luckily the cast backs up that charm. Like everyone here is very. I don't know. They just play their roles really, really well. I feel like this was cast really well. There wasn't a person that I kind of thought was weak or bad or anything like that. Like I thought yeah, I agree. everyone's dynamics played off each other really well. And you know, uh, neither of us are D and D guys. You know, so like I I don't know too much about the world. But from what I hear, you know, I, I know the concept of friends coming together and role playing <laughs> essentially, and. Mm-hmm without it getting to, like, a meta level, you do have that that thing here where you do have, like, a, a very interesting dynamic between all of these people. Um, but from from the sounds of it, in terms of the lore and the world and all that stuff, it does pay off for people who are into that stuff. Yeah, definitely. I saw this with my brother who is a and d player, and I, like you said, I've never played it, so all of the references and things like that didn't really mean anything to me and i've heard a lot of D D people like the movie but i think it's a testament to the film that you and i don't come from that and we still really enjoyed it that's yeah. a big compliment to the film but my brother was explaining to me like you know when you have your characters if you make them super powerful in certain things things like personality is like really low um, because it has to compensate in, in some way. and Right, like, like a skill that... tree kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you can you have that in video games when you build characters and things like that as well. But, um, like, there's the character in this film. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really bad at remembering what different types of people were called. Um, like, I know Chris Pine's character was from the Harpers, but, like, I, I don't remember a lot of that stuff. And that's not... <laughs> <laughs> that's not the movie's fault that's me like i i understood it while i was watching it but now that it's you know it's gone from my brain um, sure well but... there's a lot to take in you know i i've seen the film once i can't act mm-hmm. like I, I remember everyone's sort of like bits and pieces but yeah i'm assuming you're talking about like the the altruistic noble hero that lives up to the tales where yes. he's kind of got that um you know it's, it's a little bit of the uh the the drax stuff where he doesn't play with irony but mm-hmm. uh you know he's like this in and not kind of an overpowered way but in a a, a way that works the story just like super strong and super brave and like all of these these things which plays against our our loser-esque characters where it's like yeah, yeah you've got a guy who is just a thief you've got you know a woman who is just like a, a muscle head you've got a a failed wizard or or sorcerer or whatever you know like you've got that aspect of it so he kind of brings a new element to the the team in the very sort of brief moments that he's with them so i mean that whole sequence where they go underground and they you know they they fight the big dragon which was like this big fat (laughs) rolling dragon uh that was a lot of fun you know It, it felt like an iconic movie scene in a way yeah definitely uh john francis daly and jonathan goldstein they're the, the writers and directors of this and i don't love everything that they've attached their names to but i did love game night from a few years ago assembling a really good cast who play off each other well and a very funny script and good action and quite importantly a really strong grasp on tone and genre and yeah. uh i i only saw it last night so it's still pretty fresh for me i was gonna see it with my brother because he is the D fan and uh just 
unfortunately he got COVID, so we had to postpone it for a while. Um, but uh, so it's very fresh with me, and I'd see it again. Like it's it's sure. not like a few yeah. weeks have passed, and I'm like, oh, I'd like to see that now. Like I saw it last night, I'd happily watch it again, and I'd definitely happily watch a sequel. I don't know if it's going to be getting that because I'm gathering that it hasn't made as much as they would have liked, especially with a big budget. But mm. something else I'll say as well is that Chris Pine. <laughs> He's great at what he does. Yeah, not every, he's a leading not every, man. Yeah, not every film he's in is necessarily a winner, but he's one of those really reliable actors that you know is always yeah. going to be good. He balances the comedy and the charm and the sarcasm and that in his character really well with the more somber moments that are in the film. Um, I've heard people have gotten you know emotional at a big decision that's made later in the film, and it's earned. And uh, and Pine in particular really sells it, and uh, he's great. I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, do you want to talk about Hugh Grant? Well, Hugh Grant, talk about someone who's made kind of <laughs> like a uh, what's the word, like a resurgence, you know, in his career. Where throughout the '90s and 2000s, like he was thought of as the character that he played in the Richard Curtis films, and now with Paddington Two and with uh, The Gentleman and this, he's He's this great, like, horrible bad guy <laughs> actor. And, yeah. uh, uh, he's fantastic in this. Every time he appeared on screen and he was smiling, I just started chuckling. Uh, and then there's those, like, giant, like, hot air balloons with his uh, <laughs> his face <laughs> on them. And uh, uh, those, those made me laugh as well. Um, yeah, he's yeah, great. We, as soon as we saw those, I was like, that's where Kirk wants to live. It's Hugh Grant Town. <laughs> They've got big balloons with his face on it. Yeah, he's great. I mean, he's great in the stuff that he did in Four Weddings and a Funeral in those films, but he's mm-hmm. really funny in this uh, this new stage of his career. So I'm happy to see that. Oh, yeah, he's a blast. Yeah. He's, he's super sort of like the silly bad guy without it being like, you know, you're not able to take him seriously. Like, he's still a, a threat in a way, but it's yeah. not uh, distracting. So that's really fun. Um, Yeah, in terms of a sequel, I would love to see it. I don't know. I mean... You know, uh, the the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles got a sequel. G.I. Joe got a sequel. Mm-hmm. Maybe they take another crack at it. Um, I I don't know, but I I certainly would like to. There's a there's a, there's a good bit of them beating the bad guy in the film, but there's still an essence of an overarching kind of villain in the shadows. Without mm-hmm. it feeling like ooh, the next one like there's no after credit scene. At least I don't think there is. I didn't stay. Um, where like the real villain emerges and is like, ah, but next time you'll have to fight me. Like it doesn't, it doesn't do that. It just, it does, um, some nice world building in terms of the, the, the dark forces hiding in the shadows and it sets up the lore behind our, our villain sort of, uh, motivation and everything. So I like that about it. It, it felt like this could be a one and done because like the characters were able to accomplish what they sought out to do. But if they want to build off of it, they have room to. And I think that was really cool. Yeah, I agree. I can't say that I'm pleasantly surprised because I was thinking that this would be good. And like I said, I've liked other work that these guys have done. But uh, the fact that it is so much fun and was kind of a reminder of, yeah, this is what a big studio adventure film can be like. Right. That was really great to see. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. So if you, it might still be in theaters. I don't know if you get a chance please go see Dungeons and Dragons. It's a fun time. You won't regret it. It's, it's I mean, it's definitely still, I saw it last night, so. You know. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. <laughs> well, Anthony, uh, I've seen a few films recently. I've been going to the cinemas a lot 
recently. Oh, have you now? Yes. This has been a month. Uh, both March and, and April uh, were months where a lot of stuff was released. A lot of a lot of studio films have been released. Sure. And, okay. Uh, uh, this it doesn't feel like it's normally like that. This close to the Oscars, it feels like there's normally a, a downtime between the Oscars and then May when things really pick up again because May is basically part of the summer blockbuster period. But uh, I saw John Wick Chapter Four. Oh, the the latest in the John Wick franchise, the the longest one yet. Yes, it is definitely the longest one yet. Uh, the John Wick films are all very good films. The first one, I think I might have said this on the pod before, but story structure-wise, I think it's the perfect revenge film. Uh, it feels like, kind of like a, a straight-to-DVD action film, or maybe something that would have been made by a studio in the 90s or something, but because of the strength of the actors and the action... Uh, it's elevated above that, and the writer-director, Chad Stahelski, I, I might have mispronounced his surname there, but um, he obviously comes from a stunt background. He was the stunt coordinator and the uh, uh, stunt double for Keanu Reeves on the Matrix films and things like that. Right, right. Um, uh, but uh, coming from that background, he obviously came in with a really strong vision action-wise for what he wanted for the first film. And then over the four films, you see him become a better director visually. Um, as the the world that he's created builds and the action gets crazier, each film is visually better than the previous one. Even though I really like the simplicity story-wise of the first film, uh, I can't deny that Chapter 4 uh, is probably one of the most insane action movies I've ever seen. <laughs> I can only imagine how these guys who create this stuff ponder over i wonder if we can do this in this film i wonder if we can pull off john wick getting kicked down literally about 200 stairs right it's nuts like there are sequences in this for those who have seen it the busy paris traffic action scene and uh the fight scenes in tokyo um the donnie yen scenes that guy Christ, what a talent he is. <laughs> Tons of ingenuity. You know, that's that seems to be the theme yeah. of uh, a lot of these these John Wick films. Yeah, the story uh, is strongest in the in the first one, but, like, there's very little story in this. It's really, you know, John Wick has to do this one thing, mm -hmm. and uh, all these other action sequences take place around him um, as he's kind of on the run and also trying to get to the top of this criminal empire that runs everything. And... Uh, Keanu Reeves, I mean, he's really impressive in this. He throws his body around a lot, and he's no spring chicken. Um, so, you know, both Donnie Yen and Keanu Reeves, they give these really good physical performances, and, you know, people will praise actors who gain weight or lose weight or act in the cold, but nobody praises learning complex fight choreography or throwing your body to the ground to put someone in an arm bar. Like, you know, no, they, people don't talk about that with the same level of prestige as uh, they do losing weight or acting at wintertime. You know, it's, it is what it is. But, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. A great series of films, and this one in particular, an excellent finale for Keanu Reeves in the role. Uh, the role he was born to play, I think. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, a franchise that is uh, sort of passed me by. Um I think they're on Peacock out here, so... They're on the cock? I'm not going to be watching them anytime soon, unfortunately, but it is something mm -hmm. where I'm, I'm very happy to hear that they are consistently something that people enjoy. You know, I know that, like, the, the second one, people were like, eh, it's, it's more of the same, you know, kind of 
loses its luster. But ultimately, people keep coming back to these films, and this new one is doing better than ever. So, like, that is yeah. good to hear. Um, I, I like when, especially when good films do well, you know, because that's, that's, that's a good thing to hear, is that people are out there enjoying cinema. So I, I don't I don't care what it is I don't care who's making it but it seems like this has really struck a chord with people and I think that's that's really cool you know it's something for people to enjoy and you know it, it gets the masses and the the film like buffs so you don't always get that yeah. with with movies especially action movies unless you're like Mad Max <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah that's kind of one of the things that makes me so happy about the John Wick films being so successful is that they are action films in their purest form. Yeah. Um, there's some comedy in there and, and there's a little bit of adventure, but they're action films. And uh, it's kind of like these films and you know, the Mission Impossible films. Like they, both of those franchises, each film tries to top the last of like, what crazy thing can we do? With John Wick, it's more about like, well, where can we set this scene? You know, where can we, like we're in Paris. How do we utilize Paris? How do we utilize Tokyo? How do right, we utilize right. being in the desert? And I mean, the first three films were all set in New York, so this one feels the most different because it's set in the most different places. Uh, but yeah, they really pull it off, and uh, the fact that it did feel a little different, and the first three films all kind of take place within the span of a week, and this one, obviously, it was delayed because of COVID and, and everything when they originally wanted to shoot it. And not that they address the pandemic or anything. It's it's not even really clear when the films take place because one of the things about the world that they build that I really like is that the technology is kind of older. Like, everyone has dossiers with sheets of paper, you know, stapled together, and people use flip phones, and you don't see a lot of modern technology in the film. Right, right. Um, you have, like, these word processor computers and that in the world of this crime, this crime world. Uh, so... It's not that it necessarily takes place in 2023, um, but because there's been so much time between the third one and the fourth one, they don't try and say, like, this is how much time has passed. You just kind of accept, oh, some time has passed. And sure. John Wick yeah. has kind of healed a little bit from the events of the third film. So, yeah, I, I liked that about it as well. Yeah, I mean, we're we're in a, an era where we have a huge variety of action films. You know, you mentioned Mission Impossible. We've got this. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if want to verge into like other types of stuff, we've got like the Fast and the Furious films. I mean, you can sure. obviously lump in the the superhero genre in there as well. Like, it's it's a, a variety, which is good. You know, like that's what you need is is a lot of different types of action in order to, you know, appease a, a lot of different types of uh, moviegoers, you know? I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, necessarily. Especially when they're all doing as well as they are, you know? Like, yeah. I, I think that's... It'd be something where if, like, only the the bad ones were doing well and the good ones were, sure. were trying to struggle. But it's like, you know, Top Gun last year made a whole bunch yeah. of money. This is making a whole bunch of money. Like, it if we're all doing well, then we all do well. It's as simple as that. And I think this is a, a really good example of that. Yeah. I'd recommend all four films and these four films, it's kind of going to be the end of the story of this character. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend checking them out if you haven't. We're about to get like a bunch of spinoffs, right? Like a few TV shows and things like that. Yeah. And part of that makes me go like, Ooh, don't, don't try and oversaturate it. But, um, to, to branch off and tell other stories within this world that they've created. If they pull it off, I actually think that that's uh, kind of an interesting idea. 
Um, not unlike what they're doing with the Batman, how the Penguin has this spin-off show, and it's like I'd like to spend some more time in that Gotham. I liked that <laughs> that Gotham. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of similar with this, where I like this setup of this crime world, and we're they're doing a show uh, about uh, the Continental, which is the main hotel that Ian McShane's character uh, runs. Uh, I think set in the seventies. I think it was. So it won't be Ian McShane. It'll be someone else playing his character um and then also a spin-off uh film uh from a part of that world that you see in the third film uh with anna diamas mm-hmm. so uh yeah i i i will see i'll watch both of those because i like this world i'm interested to see what they do well very cool yeah well um i watched a show speaking of shows um I watched a show that arguably is nowhere near the level of quality that it used to be, unlike John Wick, which has sort of maintained this ability to be uh, sort of eye-catching and inventive. Uh, I've been watching and now finished The Mandalorian Season 3. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this is... Uh, I, it, it's funny because I think it, this is wrapped up the same time as the Picard show, um, oh, which I, as, right. from what I hear, is doing stellar. Like it has done a complete 180. It's a it's a totally different show than what the first two seasons were, where it was like this weird, yeah. dark, violent has nothing to do with Picard and all that stuff. And now it's a TNG reunion show. Um, yeah, which is great. Um, I, I as I mentioned earlier, I think it's great when people are able to sort of enjoy that stuff in a sort of uh, mean-spirited, comedic way, it, it, it is kind of funny, because it's like, oh, well, now it's not fun to hear about it. You know, I used to be able to watch Red yes. Media bash <laughs> on Star Trek. Um, yeah. You know, and we'll talk about Mandalorian, but it's almost like, and I don't mean this legitimately, but it would be very funny if the next season of Andor was really bad, because everyone has now jumped ship to Andor, and it's the best Star yeah. Wars show, just like Mando season one was the best Star Wars show and all these things. And like, ultimately, I am kidding, but it would. I, I would be very, uh, very uh, pleased in a horrible way <laughs> if Andor season two came out. People were like, oh, no, this show took a nosedive because uh, Mando took a nosedive. Sure. But we are people that uh, like a little bit of chaos, maybe in these perfect uh <laughs> You know, empires, film empires that Disney and so forth have created. Uh, MCU clearly going through some of that, both Ugh. quality of wise and you know what's happening with one of their actors that they've bet everything on. Yeah. But uh, uh, so you know, I don't like that that has had to happen in that way. Obviously, that's horrible. Uh, but there is certainly that slight amusement in the sense that uh, uh, Marvel, you know, they plan everything out and that you know they, they have all their they announce films for the next five years and now it's like you got to rethink things and there's there's a little bit of perverse entertainment in that i i know what you mean certainly um so yeah mando season three um now part of the reason because people are kind of mixed on this uh i haven't seen a whole lot of positive responses um i was someone who after season two i was done you know um i found season two yeah exactly uh, season two was like pretty good for the most part. It leaned a little too heavy into the lore stuff. And the, of course there's the finale, you know, that a lot of people like it made me very frustrated. And then Boba Fett amplified that. Um, now mm-hmm. Boba Fett was, it got really stupid and I enjoyed that for what it was because it got really, really silly, like action figures slammed together, silly. 
and I'm already checked out. So it's like, okay, I can enjoy that for what it is. But the sure. Luke Skywalker stuff is so, like, I don't know. It's disappointing to me because obviously mm-hmm. a lot of people – and then it gets in the whole, like, Last Jedi debates and, like, that goes on to the end of time. We are people that enjoy the the stuff that happens with Luke in The Last Jedi. I personally mm-hmm. am not a huge fan of The Last Jedi, but – in terms of that character, it's a very strong performance, and it's a very interesting idea, and I like it. And so seeing this very emotionally detached, robot, voice, fake-faced Luke Skywalker is not the warm blanket that it is for so many other people. So Mando Season 2, I was done. I was like, this show has made me angry. I don't like it. That show ended with him giving up Grogu, and then Boba Fett got them back together, and now they're just like together again and this really is just like Filoni and Favreau like fan fiction at this point (laughs) that's what it feels like because like there's some good stuff in there um I feel like we had talked about previously when the season started you know I talked about how like schlocky it had become you know there was like this pirate king that looked like a swamp thing and it reminded me of like a Power Rangers (laughs) villain um yeah. And that was really fun for me because it's like, oh, it's Star Wars. Like, there's so many episodes where they, like, throw this puppet around. You know, they'll just take the Baby Yoda <laughs> puppet and toss it in the air. And I'm like, yeah. that's that's great because <laughs> it's stupid. Um, there was a whole episode this season that people really did not like. And it's, a, it's an episode where Bo-Katan and the Mandalorian need to, like, go fun. Because, like, her group split. You know, uh, Mercedes Monet and the other guy, like all those other Mandalorians just fucking bailed. And so they need Mm -hmm. to go get them back. So they go to a planet that's run by Jack Black and Lizzo. Um, Yeah, that is wild. (laughs) This upset a lot of people. If you had told me that Lizzo would be in the Star Wars universe running up planet with Jack Black, I would have been like, that is not something that would happen. That is ridiculous. But hey, here we are. It's goofy, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll be honest, I don't know who Lizzo is. Like, I recognize the name. I think they're a musical (laughs) artist. Um, Yeah. But now they're in Star Wars. (laughs) Uh, They kind of have a Star Wars-y name now. So, like, that's cool. Yeah, like, Lizzo kind of sounds like a Star Wars name. Yeah. Like, like, it needs a surname. Lizzo Grumsnatch, you know? Yeah, (laughs) there you go. um, And then Christopher Lloyd was in the episode as, like, a surly old, like, head of security. Yeah. and, like, the whole episode is, like, you know, our, our droids are going haywire and we need you to figure out what's going on. And so they, like, go down to where, like, droids are working, like, shipments. And then they, like, cause one droid to have, like, a freak out. And it's, like, it's a super battle droid, you know, like, the big silver ones from Attack of the Clones. And it's, like, sprinting full speed through, like, a busy city street. And, like, Mando's chasing him down. And it just looks like the funniest thing in the world to me. Eventually they take it out and they kill it. And then later, they, like, go to a bar to get information, a robot bar, and then they go, and they visit the droid in the robot morgue. You know, like, when, like, in the morgue, especially in TV shows and movies, where they had, like, the wall with the pull-out drawers and everything? Yeah. They do that, they pull out the droid, and then they, they, like, take a sample of his oil, but, like, it clearly looks like they're drawing blood from it, and they put it in that, like, blood spitty machine. (laughs) Oh my god. It was it was incredible. <laughs> like it felt like an episode of Clone Wars. Like it really was. Like right, I could totally right. see Anakin and Ahsoka doing this circa season two, you know? Like 
sure. was very silly. And then the whole thing, spoiler alert, the whole thing's revealed was that uh, Christopher Lloyd did it for some reason. Um, and so he's like, if I push this button, all the droids deactivate, and then you won't have any droids. And then they stop him. <laughs> um, it was very weird. And people hated that. And then the next episode, people loved it. But I thought that one was silly, too. Um, there was some cool stuff. There was some interesting ideas. But ultimately, Mando has nothing really to do. Um, I, I, if you mm. told me that Pedro not was never on set a single day, I'd believe it. Because he doesn't have to be anymore. He's just a voice. Um, yeah. It's really about Bo-Katan. And like, as a Star Wars guy who's been watching the cartoons and all this stuff. Like, I don't mind the world building, but in terms of a show that was season one was such a different show than it is now. It is a lesser product than it was before. It's no longer the fun Western show. It is now building up. Like I said, this fan fiction of these specific characters, we get, um, Moff Gideon, like has a meeting with a bunch of Imperial guys and they start like dropping the, the seeds for, uh, Thrawn, you know, who's going to be in right. the Ahsoka show and is probably going to be the Thanos of the new era of this these Star Wars TV shows, essentially. And it's like, you can tell that's what they're going for. Because they, they just announced at Star Wars Celebration the Dave Filoni movie, which, you know, to be fair, this guy has been, you know, really carrying Star Wars for the fans for years now, since post-Revenge of the Sith. So, like, I don't, I don't think that... Uh, he doesn't deserve a movie. I think he does deserve a movie. Will it be good? Uh, probably not at this point. But <laughs> based off all this, it really does feel like he's going to do this Ahsoka show and he's going to do whatever other show and all this and blah, blah, blah. And it's going to build to this big movie that's a sequel to his work on Clone Wars, his work on Rebels, all that stuff. And so if you were a fan of season one, I, I do not blame you for, for dropping off because this season ends... Moff Gideon puts on an evil Mandalorian armor outfit and it's like, that's not interesting. You know, like I don't want to see like a, a, a superhero origin film where the hero has to fight an evil version of himself. Like <laughs> that's what it boils. And it's season three. Like, what are we doing here? And then, yeah. cause this whole, this was strange. So the reveal ultimately spoilers, I'm just going to put it out there is that, Moth Gideon was making force-sensitive clones of himself, which is like, oh, so it wasn't Palpatine. Because, like, we all sort of assumed that, like, oh, this is setting up the Rise of Skywalker stuff. You know, like, mm. Palpatine getting clones and all that. Like, that's a Star wars thing to do. Whether or not you like how it was done in the movie, it's pre-established in, like, old literature and all that stuff. So it's, like, it's not a crazy concept. That's always the thing I, I I find funny is I feel like people find clones in Star Wars like a weird thing, like a cheesy kind of like <laughs> fiction, and it's like you know there was a whole war with clones, right? Like that's that is mentioned in the very first Star Wars movie. I mean, you yeah. kind of have to accept that there are clones at this point. Yeah, like I know it sounds very comic booky and it sounds very silly, but yeah, clones are just part of Star Wars, and it's amazing they don't get as much play as they as you would imagine, and so mm. uh, in. Bad Batch season two, which was running around the same time, and that had a spectacular finale. Like we're in true cliffhanger endings here. They announced season three is going to be their last season. 
I, I Bad Batch is the show to watch, personally, if you ask me. Um, but, yeah, like, they were doing a clones thing, too, because obviously they're the clones. And so I thought yeah. it was weird of, like, oh, why are they building two shows off the explaining Rise of Skywalker? Well, I guess they weren't, because they, the Moff Gideon's like, I made a bunch of clones, and I'm going to make Force-sensitive Mandalorian armor-wearing clones, because I'm Moff Gideon. And it's it's like, who cares? And then he gets exploded, he dies. So he's done. That character's done. Good riddance. Uh, I don't know why we cared in the first place because you were you were good in like the first season, and then that was it. And then the final revelation is Dinjarin adopts Grogu, and everyone goes, "What? What did he did he not do that already? I thought well, we we were doing this whole time. Like that was supposed to be a moment of like." I'm adopting him as my son. And it's like, I thought you did that when you remember the whole, like the crest with the mud horn, you know, how you bonded. And was that, was that not an adoption? Huh? So that was really, it was just dumb. There's, there's a lot of stuff where it's like, we just sort of do it and then we move on. Like (laughs) Carl Weathers is like in charge of Navarro and he offers the Mandalorians like a homestead of like you can call this place home. We'll allot you some land, and the Mandalorians can have a new home, and you can start anew here. And it's like okay, that's interesting. Like we rebuild, you know, very similar to the Asgard, right? Mandalorian is not sure. a, a place; it's a people. That concept. Mm-hmm. But then the rest of the show is them trying to reclaim the planet Mandalore, and it's like, oh, who cares? I like you already found your place. It's a super weird concept. And then, of course, everybody knows that, like, um, the IG-11 droid, the, the Taika Watiti droid, they, like, hollow out his stomach. Speaking of Thor. And, yeah, speaking of Thor, uh, speaking of a guy that may or may not be making a Star Wars movie anymore. <laughs> yes. They, like, hollow out his stomach, and then Grogu, like, crangs him about like a mech, you know, like he's piloting this robot suit. And then eventually the, that changes. They just get rid of that, and he walks around like a baby again. Um it just, like, I don't know. Like, oh. Don't make any more of this show. <laughs> like, that's what I'm going to say. Is If they make a season four, I might watch it. I doubt it at this point. I, it, it might be like a once a season's kind of done. I might check it out. Because right now, I'm severely not interested. It's just, I don't, I don't see where anywhere this could go. It's really declined in quality. It's fun. Like, as a person who likes... Star Wars, the the brand, it's fun, but as a show for a, a person who wants quality content, I would say stay away. You know, like, it is purely <laughs> junk food. Sure. You know, you're not going to get anything substantial out of this show, which is unfortunate because season one was so promising, and now it's like a laughing stock. So, that's quite a fall from grace, honestly. Very weird. Well, that's a shame, but I'm glad you also enjoyed it at the same time that's uh that's kind of star wars huh like i think in every star wars movie or or show i guess um there's something where you can say i like this or i like this bit this part's silly like i think in every star wars movie there's probably something like that yeah well it's like it's star wars you know what are we gonna yeah what am i gonna do go online and talk about how they killed star wars again you know, like, people have been saying that since 1983. Like, I... This is true. I have no strength. I have no ability. I just... I don't have it in me to to bitch about Star Wars. So, is it good? Not particularly. But 
it it didn't ruin my day. Like season two ended and I was angry. I was upset yeah. at what they had done. Season three ended and I was uh, very much like ambivalent towards it. So there's that, I guess. Well, uh, I watched a movie called Air. Ooh. Uh, I believe last episode I might have called this Ben Affleck's shoe movie. The shoe and, movie. Uh, Up in the... Yes. Uh, I'm a little surprised that Air is getting uh, the level of praise that it's receiving. I thought it was fine. Uh, I thought it lacked the drama that other films that this is being compared to have. Like, I've seen a lot of comparisons to Moneyball, which is a film I really like. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe it's because I didn't know the real-life story, the uh, outcome of that season of Major League Baseball and everything that, that Moneyball t- takes place during. Um, but, you know, so that was suspenseful to me, like, not knowing the outcome. And uh, this is not a spoiler to say that the Air Jordan gets made and released... Oh. Uh, we all know that Michael Jordan signs with Nike. A lot of the drama that I've seen people praise, it wasn't there for me. And uh, I don't know, that was the main thing. Like, that's the main crux of the story. And it's like, well, we know that that's what happens. you got to give me something else. And I think they try to by adding this uh, little thing at the end uh, of the deal going through where Viola Davis plays uh, Michael Jordan's uh, mum. And... She says, uh, Michael's got to get however many percent of uh, sales of the shoe. And Matt Damon's like, oh, that's just not something that we do. That's not something in the industry. And then it becomes a thing of like, oh, we can't, we're not going to get the deal because this is something we can do. And he goes to see Ben Affleck and Ben Affleck goes, ah, fuck it, give it to him. And it's like, okay, cool. You know, usually the benefit, especially of these like corporate rise of power movies is the sort mm-hmm. of like sinister element to it like the founder yes. you know the michael keaton mcdonald's film yeah 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 it's it's a story about a guy who is in a way down on his luck he kind of needs something you know he needs his golden ticket uh, mm-hmm. and he finds it and he takes like this business away from these you know the business owners these people that like made their own thing uh obviously the social network my favorite film yeah. of all time is yes. the idea of, you know, someone taking something and making it more and it being like, is this really theirs? I don't know. No, it's not. Um, but from here, it just sounds like a very straightforward, like, like is there any kind of cynicism or kind of a negative look on Nike? Or is it like a hero story? There, like, Yeah, there's a little bit of, of a negative look on Nike uh, because they kind of seem a little bit like they're, a company that's stuck in the past a bit. They won't spend the money that they need to in order to get this basketball division off the ground where Converse and Adidas and these other companies are willing to do that and sign Magic Johnson and and, and Larry Bird and these people. Uh, Nike aren't willing to spend the money. They have a budget and they're like spread it across three different players. Matt Damon's character is someone that goes to high schools or colleges, maybe, and uh, scouts these people to try and find, like, the next big player and and sign them, at you know, at a young age before they've made it in the NBA. Um, so Michael Jordan is someone that's already in college basketball and has had a great run and has, you know, been drafted by 
the Chicago Bulls. I think I'm saying all of this correctly, sports fans. <laughs> um, and uh, so, like, he's already kind of a known entity, and he either plays in Adidas shoes and wears Converse in his spare time. It's something like that. Or I might have them the wrong way around. So the thought is that Nike won't have a chance because he already wears both of these shoes and both of those companies are going to bid for him. And Matt Damon makes the decision to go and speak to the parents. He, go, he goes past his uh, his agent and, and speaks straight to the parents. And uh, uh, th- those scenes I actually like because it feels like a drama. It feels like a real movie. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of scenes I like. Uh, Matt Damon talking to Viola Davis their first meeting at uh, their house and a scene later in the film with Mike, uh, um, not Michael, with Jason Bateman. Okay, I think I called him Michael. <laughs> I just This just popped into my head. I think I called him Michael because he's basically Michael Bluth in this film. Oh, if he okay. left the Bluth company and worked for a good company. That's <laughs> um, what his performance kind of reminded me of if he wasn't surrounded by morons. Um, but there's a scene where Jason Bateman... Uh, talks about he gets to spend Sundays with his daughter. He and his wife are separating. He gets to spend Sundays with her and he gives her a pair of Nike shoes every Sunday and he knows that that's what she looks forward to. So he kind of grasps onto that. And Matt Damon gambling everything on one player who has not stepped foot on an NBA court yet kind of puts their whole division in jeopardy and, you know, he could lose his job. And he says basically that if I lose my job because of this gamble that you've made, I'm still going to buy the Nike shoes to give to my daughter because that's what she looks forward to. And, like, scenes like that, again, they feel like a real movie, and I liked those scenes. Okay. Um, and then you have scenes with the back of Michael Jordan's head because they didn't want to cast an actor to play him. Yeah. And that was whack. I hated that. That was such a... That was just a distracting <laughs> choice, and I don't know why uh, you made that choice, Big Ben. There's uh there's there's some good performances in this. Matt Damon, you know, is is good in his role, and Ben Affleck, uh, is kind of an underrated comedic actor. Like he's got really good comedic timing in this. You don't see it in a lot of his movies because he plays the uh, the head of Nike, who, again, is stuck in the past a bit. And uh, Matt Damon gives this big speech about how, like, when they're trying to 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 court uh, Michael Jordan, he's like, you know, none of us in this room will be remembered, but you know, great players in, in sport are, you know, remembered for decades. And uh, when everyone else leaves the room, Ben Affleck's like, you know, I think I'll be remembered. <laughs> and, like, he just, he has a couple of moments like that where it's like, that's that's very funny. I didn't think this was the Nike commercial that other people have accused it of being because it does show that the company was behind the times and it took this one guy that believed in this one other guy it's also every, unavoidable you know, whenever you do something like this. Sure. Like, what do you? It, yeah. It's about the company that got the shoe for the famous guy. Like, you're, yeah. you have to address the history. You know, there's only so much you can do. Well, you mentioned the social network. Like, that never really goes out of its way to talk about the harm of social media. Um, right. You know, so, it's like, you could also accuse that of like, well, this is like a, a commercial for how great facebook is but it's not it's a story about these people and that just happens to be the thing that's being made so yeah i I thought it was fine uh i did not think this was the great movie that other people have accused it of i I just didn't connect with it i guess so yeah that that's fair um well uh, speaking of something that uh people seem to have loved but maybe you don't feel as strongly about it 
Uh, I watched the 30th anniversary special for Power Rangers because Power Rangers is 30 this year. That's that's something. Um, sure so is. yes, uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers once and always. It's a it's a play on like once a ranger, always a ranger. That aired on Netflix. It's a 55 minute special featuring uh, returning members of the Mighty Morphin team. And um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was good. Uh, there have been people, especially like in the sort of Power Rangers world, because obviously I'm a Power Rangers guy. I, I've seen every episode of the show. Uh, the, people seem to really love this special. I I liked it. I, I thought it was a bit strange at times. Mm-hmm. It is about as well as you could get while still fitting within the world of Power Rangers. Um, but ultimately, it's... It's, like, about grief and loss. Oh. And, like, that's what the special is about. Um, <laughs> oh, my. Okay. So, so you, the, the summary of the, of the, of the special. So, uh, Rita Repulsa is back. She has a robot body now. And so the Power Rangers show up. They, they fight the putties. They fight her. And in the, the, the sort of battle, uh, Trini, the Yellow Ranger... Uh, gets blasted and obliterated, like turned to fucking dust, and she's dead. She's gone. Whoa. Obviously, historically, uh, the actress uh, tragically uh, died in a car accident years and years ago. Um, so that's been something where you know it's been a part of Power Rangers history for a long time. And uh, this special is really about like the Rangers coming to terms with that. So, like, uh, uh, David Yost, who plays Billy the Blue Ranger, and uh, Walter Jones, who plays Zack the Black Ranger, they're really the focus of this special. Like, it cuts to them in, like, Trini's house, and they're arguing on whether or not they should, like, tell her daughter what happened. And they're like, ah, maybe we could, like, tell her this. And Billy's like, no, we need to tell her. Like, she needs to know. They're like, ah, but we can't, like, reveal our identities kind of thing. And he's like, no, she needs to know that Rita killed her mom. And it's, like, that's the special, and it's really just about, like, her daughter wanting revenge, and specifically, Zach, like, being the forefront of, like, you know, this isn't justice, you know, you're seeking revenge, these things that you're wanting, they're not heroic traits, like, you, you know, I understand your anger, but at the same time, you, you know, to do this isn't what you think it is, and, like, that's it, but it's also mixed in with, like, you know, Power Rangers? Right, Yeah. <laughs> It's very strange. Um, yeah, yeah. It, I don't know. Um, I I thought it was very well done for what it was. It was it was decently acted for what it was. Obviously, a lot of these people aren't really actors anymore. They've stepped away from the game. Yeah. But they all did a pretty decent job with what they had. I I thought Zach was by far the best part. You know, this is um, you know, because Power Rangers has a history of being interconnected. You know, from like the first five seasons of the of the show, or at least the four, like you know, the main series. You know, it was one continuous story where like the team would go into the next season and then they would change members and then continue on. Like it's a, a you know, a, a tightly knit cinematic universe, if you will. And so, crossovers and cameos and like all these things have always been a part of the Power Rangers history, and. You know, uh, historically, you know, in uh, halfway through season two, three of the Rangers, uh, you know, the the red, the yellow, and the black, uh, basically said of like, "Hey, we want more money," and <laughs> Saban and Co were like, "Bye, we'll get new people and replace you." 
and uh, you know, a few of them have returned here and there, and you know, in their own way. Um, and so, like, in terms of uh, uh, Zach, you know, this is his first time back to the franchise. You know, he never came back for a special or a movie or anything like that. So this is his genuine return. And even though uh, David Yost, who you know, it's 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 no secret. You know, was bullied for being gay, like yeah, on the set yeah. and all these things. You know, he left the show during uh, Zio, which is the sequel series to Mighty Morphin, and like he never came back. And so this is him returning to the series as well. And it does have that feeling of like, ah, oh, you guys were able to come back and kind of provide a little bit of closure to the to the world, to the characters, and all that. That it's a it's an interesting concept. Um, <laughs> Other people are not in the special. Um, it's it's pretty evident, if you ask me and others, that the Pink Ranger part was clearly written for Amy Jo. That, that is just the case. <laughs> um, there are mannerisms of the character of, of Kat, and, you know, no shade to Catherine Sutherland, you know? She was the Pink Ranger. She's Mighty Morphin Pink, she's Zeo Pink, she's Turbo Pink, like... She she's put in the work, you know. That that's not going to take away her her Power Ranger status by any means. She's returned for for specials before. Good for her. But uh, like lines of dialogue, there's a point where she references like, oh, you know, the the putties still sound like angry turkeys to me. Cat never fought a putty in her in her <laughs> tenure of, of being a Power Ranger. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> By the time she had shown up on the show, they had stopped using the the, the Sentai footage, you know, the original Zhu Ranger, where all that stuff comes from. They had been mishmatching and all this kind of stuff by the time she had shown up. Um, and, you know, she, she uses the power bow in the special. She never used the power bow, to my knowledge, when she was on the team. Once again, that plays into the idea that, like, they weren't using the Sentai footage. They were kind of being inventive with it. They stopped using those specific weapons because of that um and then you know there's the other stuff uh from what we can tell i mean sadly we probably won't ever know at this point but jc david frank is not in the special we don't really know why he declined it or if he was offered or anything like that it's possible that he had his uh crossover for the 25th anniversary a few years back and that was enough for him because now you know he was working on his like independent film it seems mean to say fan film because it's not but like obviously it's influenced from his work on power rangers with bat in the sun and i believe that film is finished so that will be released at some point um but you know he he was not in the special unfortunately and austin st john is also not in the special and it's it's kind of rough because we don't really know why um we we know that there he ran into some legal trouble with the government a little while back. Um, but like all that's cleared up at this point, like he's doing conventions, he's fine. Like they just announced a new Mighty Morphin Red figure, like a, a remastered edition. It's like a new and improved lightning collection figure. Um, and it doesn't come with a Jason head, like a, you know, Austin St. John, it doesn't come with his likeness. And so people are wondering of like, well, when it was in production, was that around the same time? Like, it's very hard to tell. So, Luckily, multiple people have carried multiple powers, so you can kind of bring in other people. Obviously, you, you get, you know, Rocky instead of Jason, or, you know, you get Cat instead of Kimberly, and, you know, we get all these other sort of nods and references and all these things, so it's all there. It's well made. The, Rita Repulsa, 
she brings up the fact that she killed Trini like every five seconds. <laughs> you know what? Hmm. It was a little weird. Um, I mean, in a way, it's kind of funny that like Power Rangers has been so adamant about, about being like a kid's show where you can't say yeah. certain words. Um, Power Ranger fans will know what I'm talking about, but like famously in the Turbo, they couldn't say bomb. So they would always say <laughs> detonator, which doesn't, that's not the same thing. That's- no, a detonator sets off a bomb. <laughs> sets off a bomb, <laughs> so yeah. two different things. Yeah. So that's a weird choice, but yeah, like, th- this is very much a kid's show. They can't say things like kill or death, and so yeah, you do have that factor here. It is Barbara Goodson doing the voice of Rita Repulsa. Um, the way they explain it is um, Billy and Alpha are trying to bring Zordon back to life because Zordon, at the end of In Space, sacrificed himself and he released a wave of energy that made, like, it eliminated all evil in the universe. Clearly that didn't work because, you know, the show continued. But they're trying to bring him back from the dead. And what they do, and it's really funny because I'm watching the scene with Ray, and, like, they're, they're trying their bullshit, like, science stuff. And then, like, a purple energy comes out. And then, like, Rita Repulsa's evil, like, energy spirit possesses Alpha and morphs into Robo-Rita, and she explains of, like, oh, when the Z-Wave blasted everyone's, like, particles, my evil particles still existed out there in the cosmos. And I imagine, like, a normal person who remembers Power Rangers from the 90s being like, what? What is she talking about? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, Ray and I are like, oh, that makes sense. Like, I I completely follow (laughs) the logic there. Okay, cool. (laughs) So... There's that that aspect of it. Um, I, I it sounds funny, but like I would have, I could have done with a bit more fan service. We get a a a poster for for Bulk and Skull's like food service that they have. Um, that's really it. They go to Ernie's Juice Bar and they have like a fight scene there, but that's about it. Like I feel like I could have done a bit more with the world and the references to kind of go a bit more deeper, but ultimately. I feel like it's a very, like, solid Power Rangers special. You know, it it doesn't go too hard that it feels, like, fan film-esque. But it doesn't go complete Easter eggs every five seconds, nonstop references. Like, it doesn't do that either. So in terms of, mm-hmm. of Power Rangers, this is probably the best you could have done with this. And, you know, I think that's really all people really wanted, and I'm, I'm fine with that, you know? I, I did not love it, by any means. People really seem to love this. That's cool for them. I liked it. It was, it was neat, but ultimately I didn't get, you know, as much as uh, other people really did out of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, if it's a direction where the show is going to be going, then that's a good sign, because it didn't feel like a kid's show, like, there was some weird, silly dialogue here and there, but ultimately, it didn't feel like I was watching a, a children's show, like, which sometimes feels like, especially in, like, the recent sort of Nickelodeon era, it felt very, very much like a, a very young children's show, and it's a little hard to watch, um, which people could be saying of, like, well, yeah, it's Power Rangers, and it's like, uh, yeah, I guess that's true, but, you know, some of these shows have been watchable, and sometimes they aren't, so this this was watchable. <laughs> For what it was, it was it was good. So if you're a Power Rangers fan, if you have a passing knowledge of Power Rangers, if you want to kind of see these actors again, I think it's worth a watch. It's it's uh it's very tight. They don't waste a lot of time. An hour special was a 
perfectly good decision. If this had been a four-episode miniseries or even a movie, like a full-length, feature-length movie, maybe would have, you know, been a bit weaker. But since it's an hour long, I think they do everything that they they could have wanted to do. So that's good. I remember Catherine Sutherland when she was the Pink Ranger because uh, there was a blooper that they either put in the credits or maybe it was just a, a thing they showed on Fox Kids once where they might have been in Ernie's Juice Bar and she picked up uh, a French fry and said, Chip? And whoever was in the scene with her said, uh, French fry. And I just remember thinking that was really funny because I was like, oh, she's Australian. I didn't know that. And uh, yeah. There you go. That just reminded me. That was a memory that was so far in the deep <laughs> of my brain that you mentioning the second Pink Ranger just like uh, got me got me thinking. So yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Power Rangers eventually did move on to uh, New Zealand, and you know they mm-hmm. shot a lot of season three in the movie back in the nineties in Australia. Yes. So. Uh, uh, Australia, New Zealand, like that era area of the planet has a very strong connection to Power Rangers, which is, you know, it's obviously south of Japan. So I, you know, that's just where Power Rangers needs <laughs> yeah. to live, I guess, is that part of the planet. Our time zones are very, very similar. We're like an hour apart with Japan. So, yeah, it uh, makes sense. Talk about Russell Crowe. I was going to say, speaking of uh, Australian actors, let's go from the Pink <laughs> Power Ranger to the Pope's Exorcist. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't have much to say about this one, so I'll be kind of quick, but, uh, I kind of liked it. Definitely not a terrible <laughs> film. Uh, I, there's an aspect of the film that I do want to talk about that I found strange. Okay. Uh, so, obviously Russell Crowe, he plays, uh, an exorcist. He's called to a place where a family are staying. It's an old religious location. I don't know if it's an actual church, but it's, it's, it's like a religious, uh, building i guess um and it's the family are a mum, a daughter like a teenage daughter and a younger son and the son is mute since uh, the father died um he, he was in the car accident with him and he hasn't spoken since and they've acquired this religious building uh in th- the father's passing uh i guess it was in his family's will or something and now it's it's been given to them if it, that doesn't make sense, it didn't make sense in the movie either, so I'm doing my best. <laughs> okay. So this family, they're an American family, and this building and the film is set in Spain. The kid, the son, gets possessed by a demon, the exorcist gets called there, and we spend a lot of time with this family, particularly the mother, who's played by Alex Esso, who's a very good actress, Starry Eyes, Doctor Sleep, just a really good actress. Um, and uh, spoilers, I've got to talk about spoilers here. So if you don't want to know the ending of the film, skip ahead. The exorcist expels the demon from the little boy and accepts it into himself uh, and so that the family can get away. And we see the family get into a car and they drive off. And uh, then at the end of the film, we're given a quick line of dialogue that says, uh, the family returned to America, they're fine. Oh, good. I was, I was like, no, that's not what you do in a movie. Like We spend <laughs> all this time with these people. They don't just get a throwaway line to say, oh, they're fine. Don't even worry. <laughs> it's like a kid had a demon in him. Uh, like this, you don't just, you'd be traumatized from that. You can't just say they're fine. So I just wanted to bring that up because that annoyed me. <laughs> um, but uh, otherwise, the film has 
Uh, it, I mean, it's a little silly. It's a, it's a bit over the top. It's about a demon that possesses a little boy. And uh, we're told that this is based on true events as Russell Crowe opens up a portal to hell and things like that. But, uh, you know, it's it, it was fine. It, it had a sense of humor at times um, in an intentional way, I believe. Uh, but I actually kind of enjoyed it. So there's that. <laughs> it just cuts to like Peter Falk, you know, reading the story. And then, then the family made it back to America and they were fine. <laughs> It's like, Grandpa, I didn't want to, yeah. I didn't want to scare you. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's not really a film I'd recommend. It's nothing you should go out of your way to check out. It's a must-see. It's it's fine. Uh, but something I will recommend. I've Ooh. been watching a TV show called Jury Duty. Have you seen or heard anything about this show, Anthony? Honestly, no. At least not that I can recall. Uh don't tell me about it. Yeah, it's kind of a film that's a show that's flying under the radar a little bit. I knew about it because someone I follow on Instagram was posting some scenes from it because they're in the show. And uh, then my sister uh, said, there's this show that I've been watching. It's really funny. I think you'd like it. So I started watching it. It's from uh, some of the people. I don't know how many, but some of the people who made The Office. It uh, uh, follows a jury... Um, and everyone in the show is an actor, except for one guy who doesn't know that this is a show that they're making. Oh. He's a real-life person that thinks they're basically making a documentary, and, uh, he doesn't know that all the other people in the show are, like, improv (laughs) actors and everything. Um, and, but there is one notable actor who's in the show playing himself, and it's James Marsden. Well, there we go. The, the, we, it all comes out, guys. We know why Kirk's watching it. Uh, so I'd seen him posting <laughs> about this show on Instagram, and I didn't really think much of it. Um, and I thought it might have been something that he cameoed in, because I knew he was in a new season of Party Down, which is another show that I enjoy. Hmm. Uh, but I haven't watched that new season. And um, so I thought he, he might have just, because I saw he was playing himself, I thought he must have cameoed in this thing. And uh, then, no, he's like in the whole show. He plays this Hollywood douche version of himself. Um, and he's very, very entertaining as, you know, t- television knows what to do with James Marsden. Films have fumbled with him a bit, but television gets him. <laughs> the whole show is very funny and very entertaining. And this real life guy, uh, luckily it's, he's someone who's not a total prick. Like it hasn't been revealed or something that like, Oh man, this guy, this isn't like a Borat situation, you know, where we spend time with these people and it just reveals how awful all these people are. Like, this is a guy that they they have a character uh, staying in the hotel room next to him that was clearly meant to make him feel uncomfortable because he's so weird. But instead, he tries to help this guy and takes him under his wing and things like that. So uh, that's an entertaining aspect to the show. But uh, I've been really enjoying it. I think there's two episodes left at the time of recording. Okay. I guess I'll let you guys know what I think of the finale. I assume that they'll reveal everything to this man, that uh, this whole court case has been a sham. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've been really enjoying it. So that's just more of a recommendation more than a review. Uh, I mean, conceptually, on... it sounds really cool. So, I mean, once yeah. it finishes, please let me know because I, I might check this out. I don't watch all the shows, so I might actually check this out. That's kind of why I wanted to talk about it because I I don't watch a lot of shows either. And... Uh, this just was so sort of weird and, and funny and uh, entertaining on another level where you've got all these 
funny actors who are all unknowns and, and then also James Marsden. And then you've got this guy and that adds another element to the comedy of the show as well. Um, so yeah, it's been very fun. It's on uh, Amazon Prime here. I don't know if it is in America as well, but uh, yeah, that's just a quick recommendation. Very cool. Is it time? It is time for the main event. So this is uh, the movie that is, uh, it, 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 it can't be stopped. It's as simple as that. It's the biggest movie. It's the movie. Top Gun Maverick of 2023. Yeah. Same level of quality and everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is this has been wild. The Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, that's the title. It's not Super Mario Brothers, the movie. It's the Super Mario Brothers movie uh, You know, made by Illumination and Nintendo. Uh, this has been... A big hit. It seems like kids are loving this movie, and uh, you know what? I enjoyed it as well. Um, I, I, I have a I have a bit of a history with Mario, so Kirk, I would love to know you know what you thought and, and what your history is with the the classic Nintendo plumber. Sure, um, I have no history. <laughs> so this right. has been kind of an interesting thing to me because going in there and not having uh, any have very basic knowledge but not having any connection to any of the games or any of the lore or or any of that uh and i also enjoyed it and similar to what i was saying about dungeons and dragons though nowhere near as high quality uh that's a compliment to the film that it got someone like me to enjoy it even though it i have no connection to super mario um it's I guess I'll just quickly say my piece because I know you'll have a lot more to say. But True. It's a children's film um, and it's it's intended for children. It's it's not like a Pixar film where the the company motto is we will make you cry and that makes it a good movie. <laughs> um, this is a silly children's adventure film. Um, I guess the thing that's there for the adults is like, I don't know, donkey kong's seth rogan laugh and things like that because yeah in my cinema all the adults laughed at that and and all the kids were dead silent i had fun watching it i it was an easy 90 minutes that flew by it was fine again this is not a recommendation everyone needs to go out and see it but i enjoyed it it made me very happy to hear that you enjoyed it um because i think i i had seen it and i messaged you of like it is a kid's film so you really don't have to go out of your way to see it um so yeah but you're you're right. It is 100% a movie for for kids to to enjoy the spectacle. Um, I think it really does help, in my opinion, that there isn't the bombardment of like adult jokes and references. You know, they don't go the sure. DreamWorks route with it, where you know there's there's no mention of like real life stuff. You know, there's no like when they go to the world of the Kongs. You know, there's no starbucks donkey kong equivalents you know they don't make <laughs> right, a joke yeah. about like celebrities you know like i thought it, that that was my assumption was that they were going to go into the world of the mushroom kingdom and, and see all these characters and there would be like weird sort of uh you know versions of like i don't know like a koopa version of of ariana grande or a, a right. donkey kong version of howard stern like weird stuff like that where yeah, it's like totally jokes like for shrek. the adults that's exactly it is that i assumed it would go more of the dreamworks shrek route and it absolutely did didn't it, it lives within the world of mario um, i'm a big fan of the mario world um i've been playing the mario games pretty much my whole life uh when i was when i was young 
one of uh, the Christmases I remember the most is getting a Game Boy Advance and a copy of Super Mario Brothers uh, 3. Uh, so I, I played that all the time. I, I had an absolute blast with it. Uh, I remember my uh, uncle, he had like an NES that he wasn't using. And I was like, can I have this? And he was like, yeah, sure. Like, whatever. And I spent like hours of my time trying to get that thing working until eventually I did. And like I played the original Super Mario Brothers on that. I got a Nintendo DS because the new Super Mario Brothers game was out at the time. And like I remember being like, that's what I want for my birthday. Like, I don't really care what you guys get me, what else? Like, I'm letting you know <laughs> this is what I this is what I want, which that would have been like two thousand five or two thousand six or something like that. So I've I have been a Mario fan. You know, I used to, to, to draw the characters, you know, I remember I built like the NES versions of Mario and Luigi out of, like, Legos when I was, like, nine or eight years old. Like, I loved Mario. And luckily, the Mario franchise has always been a, a one of quality in terms of the games. You know, there's not really a lot of bad Mario games. I guess you can have your opinions on the various versions and, and whatnot, but in terms of mainline Mario, they're usually good. Uh, you know, Mario Kart is one of the biggest, most popular franchises on its own even separate from mario so like that's that's great so going into this it was uh you know it was daunting <laughs> <laughs> for something like you know at the, at the very start of knowing that it's illumination sure i was like okay well it's not gonna be good necessarily like it and, is and quickly on that note this was the first illumination film that i've seen i'm pretty sure so oh wow yeah. you've never seen any of the despicable me's or i, I haven't like seen that? any of the despicable me's obviously i haven't watched minions but no i never saw Desp the original despicable me though i heard it was good yeah uh, the, the first one is good um i'd argue that mario is a more fun movie in my opinion um sure. uh so there's there's that um but yeah, I, I went into this knowing it's Illumination. You know, when the cast is revealed, it was the most stereotypical, like, Hollywood animated cast that you could possibly imagine. Um, yeah. There's tons of videos of people reacting to that Nintendo Direct where they revealed the cast. The donkey one is the funniest just because he laughs harder and harder <laughs> until he gets the Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. And then it's like <laughs> yes. he, he's like losing oxygen because he's laughing so hard. Um, he's so cool. He's so cool. It's like everyone, everyone knew, right? But then they show a trailer and visually it looks great. And luckily when you go into the movie, it, it looks really, really good. Like, you know, I, I mentioned it's, it's such a, a benefit that they paid so much attention to the world. There's not a lot of, uh, liberties taken with a lot of the stuff. Now, maybe like character placement and stories and like little bits here and there, there's some, some changes, but they work for, for what the movie is telling. It's a very simple concept that is very similar to the 80s cartoon, very similar to the 90s movie. It's Mario and Luigi are in Brooklyn and they get taken down a pipe into the world of the Mushroom Kingdom uh, where they have to fight Bowser and whatnot. So um, I, I just, I was shocked at how much it paid respect to everything that was there. Um, I think I put out a tweet saying, you know, my arm was tired from doing the Rick Dalton point because <laughs> yeah. uh like the movie starts off and it's essentially that first trailer they released you know with bowser's like you know kingdom is, is essentially like an airship uh heading to the the penguin world um and immediately it's playing the airship theme from super mario brothers 3 and it was one of those moments of like oh okay like this is it like they're not just gonna play the mario theme 
you know, and, ha- and call it a day, like, they're going to dig into it. Um, and then immediately right after that, we get the, the Kill Bill song uh, when the penguins oh, yeah. attack. And it's like, okay, that's a little bit of a, a reality check. <laughs> you know, you, you, you stop <laughs> and you go, okay, all right, that, that's, that's right. This, that's what this movie's going to be. And I want to talk about the, the, the music real quick. So uh, Brian Tyler did the, the score, and it's just full of musical references. Uh, we watched a video last weekend that was like every yeah. musical reference from the games that's in the movie score. And that video was like 30 minutes long <laughs> because there's yes. just so much from the world. And uh, on top of that, they shoved in as many 80s pop songs as they could uh, to the point where songs that were composed for the like scenes in the movie were cut. And from what I'm hearing, um, the end of the film, you know, there's like a big climactic battle spoilers for the Super Mario Brothers movie. You know, they get the power star and they they become like invincible. Um, Illumination wanted to put Jump by Van Halen. Um, get it? Because they jump, you know, it's the Mario Brothers. That's and that, Sure. Uh, that makes sense than, more sense than some of the others that they used. Yeah, some of them don't make any sense at all. Um, so it's like, I get it. But yeah, the composer had to fight for his music to be in the movie, which is like a horrible thing to hear. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah. you hired the guy, you know, like, he's putting in the music. So I'm, it, that end of it is a shame. But once again, you know what you're getting into when you get into the whole Illumination brand. So I guess there's that aspect of it. We we get a scene where um, they go to the, the Kong world and they start building their carts. Um, and it's playing the menu music from Super Mario or, or Mario Kart 8. And it's like, <laughs> it's wild. Like, it's not just like the theme tune or it's not just like the most obvious. But it's like, it's specifically the music you're listening to when you're building your cart in the Mario Kart game. And it's, I, I, I really appreciate that aspect that I like it. It paid like homage to all eras of Mario. But the problem is, is that immediately after that, they play Thunderstruck. And it's like, that takes me as a fan out of it. It kind of diminishes yeah. it a little bit. But like I said, we knew what we were getting into. But I, I, I do, I do love that. Like a lot of these movies will just sort of do the 80s stuff, right? In terms of references. Like, they could have just referenced, like, the NES era, you know, the the first, like, 8-bit era Mario and called it a day. But, like, there are kids seeing this that are playing current-day Mario. Like, if you're wanting to play to them, don't just, like, do it all for the, the, the grown adults in the audience. Like, do something for the kids, too. So when he gets, like the cat power up or, you know, the music from Mario Kart 8 or, I mean, when they, when they show the, the Koopa Kingdom and it's like the, the, the Bowser's Fury music, which is a game from like two years ago at this point, you know, the rock music that's playing is like, that's new. Like, that's so mm-hmm. new. That's not just some reference to old school Mario, you know, but it's all over the place. You know, we get Luigi with the, the phone, the ringtone is the GameCube startup sound. Like, there's so so much of that stuff um which is i don't know it's it's wild like when you go into this and i I sort of mentioned i was what i was expecting from it and you know like i thought it was a very safe bet that like a character like donkey kong would fart you know like that seems like a very easy bingo for these kinds of movies but like that doesn't happen (laughs) you know there's no like references to stuff or like outdated references you know there's no uh 
especially with like these types of kids movies, they always put in like weirdly outdated things like say hello to my little friend or I'll have what she's having like oddly yeah. out of place. So you know, we did that um commentary years ago for the home alone movie. Right. And yeah, like, yeah. Remember Scarface. It's like, that's yeah. not in this movie. And I really appreciate that aspect of it. Like the last SpongeBob movie, uh, Danny Trejo was in it. It's like Danny Trejo. That doesn't mean jack shit to kids. Like yeah. Keanu Reeves, one thing, Danny Trejo. No, get him out of there. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. Are kids supposed to find that funny? Like, I don't, I don't know. So I, I, I appreciate that. Um, I guess voice cast, you know, we joked about it. It, it was the most obvious celebrity thing right from the beginning. Chris Pratt, Char- Charlie Day, Jack Black, all that stuff. Um, I mean, I, I didn't have a problem with, with any of them. Um, it seems Ooh. like the most common one that I've seen people have issue with is Cranky Kong voiced by Fred Armisen. Um, <laughs> sure. It's kind of going for like a, a Jewish old man sound, you know, it's like halfway between Bernie Sanders and, and Larry David. I, I agree that like, yeah, that's not very cranky Kong. I, and then it's something where they did ultimately change all that, you know, Donkey Kong is not the prince of the Kongs or anything like in the games, you know, that's, they, they really simplified it to kind of represent the sort of different kingdoms of this fictional world, which I'm fine with. I don't have an issue with any of that. It is just something that was a, a pretty big change from the usual stuff, but Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong. I thought worked. Um, I I was surprised at how much he was in it. You know, like really, there's a, a pretty yeah. decent rivalry between Donkey Kong and Mario, which of course plays into the fact that like, you know, Mario's first appearance is in uh, Donkey Kong. So it's like there's a reason behind it, and um, it was it was surprisingly like well done, and I, I thought that that his performance was great. Uh, yeah, all around, I, I thought everyone sounded right it was never distracting it was never weird that's how they sounded good well i think in particular jack black uh is great in this not just the song because the song is great (laughs) but uh i thought he he does the most in terms of giving an actual performance like changing his voice yeah like uh i love anya taylor joy she's uh she's she's wonderful it's just her voice in this and not that it shouldn't be because she's right for it but it's just that's her voice Jack Black, if you didn't tell me it was Jack Black, I wouldn't know immediately uh, the way I would with Charlie Day or with, uh, with Anya Taylor-Joy. And I thought that uh, there was a, a pretty decent Brooklyn uh, influence in Chris Pratt's voice. Yeah. Obviously, he doesn't do the over-the-top Super Mario voice throughout the film, but they actually kind of explain why he does it in the commercial. which I, I like that was, gag, uh, yeah. So did I, yeah. And uh, obviously Charles Martinet is there, and that's the cameo that everybody recognizes. <laughs> and there was a point in the movie, and, you know, again, this is not me patting myself on the back, I'm, you know, but I was like, I wonder if he's playing the dad as well. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, he was. So. Yeah, um, I mean, that is something that I, I caught almost immediately, just because I, I know his, his voice pretty well. Um, yeah. but obviously most people are pointing out the obvious sort of the jump man reference. Cause yeah, it's, it's very early on in the film. They're saying like, Oh, the accent's too much. And he's like, it's a perfect wahoo. You're doing the whole shtick. Mm-hmm. Um, I, which I did like the follow up to that where he was like, okay, I trust you. He says something like that, like very simple <laughs> yeah. like follow up to it. Um, but yeah, he plays his dad as well, and I, I thought that was a really good... It's funny, because then at the end of the film, he shows up again, and he yeah. gives like a very, almost like a very real, like, wahoo. 
Um, but then he also does his his like wahoo with the jump man again, and I thought that was yeah. a little strange to be like, why are you doing two different reference cameos? That's a little, it's a little <laughs> much. You don't need to do that. But sure. hearing him give like almost like I said like a, a more grounded <laughs> Mario wahoo, I, I really appreciated. Um, I mean, there's a lot of voice actors that really get their moments in this. Obviously, Kevin Michael Richardson voices Kamek, the little robed wizard guy that is uh bowser's like second in command um and then there's there's tons of little bits like uh uh dimaggio john dimaggio gets a little bit of a voice bit in mario's like family setting uh there's there's tons of of stuff which i think is is really great um you know it's one of those things where i i can appreciate people being like because obviously now with it's like oh well for the sequel who do you want in the these roles and people will say something like oh well voice actors and I, I i understand that and i appreciate it but at the same time i don't see anybody praising the voice actors that are in this film that aren't the celebrities you know like yeah there's a there's a koopa troopa who is voiced by uh, scott menville who is like robin from like teen titans and teen titans go like you can really hear it in his voice it's like oh yeah i recognize you um and, like, no one's talking about that. No one's talking about John DiMaggio. Like, no one's really referencing those characters. Uh, Cree Summers plays, like, the, the, the lady who owns the house that they're they're fixing at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> where that, like, the one weird bit in the movie where it's, like, the Illumination dog that doesn't look oh, like anything yeah. else in the film. Yeah. It's a bit weird. <laughs> um, yeah, but, I, you know, it's funny, though. That part of the movie, I was like, I'd be fine if this was the movie. Like, I know, right? Like, they were really yeah, likable in that scene. <laughs> they were. I enjoyed that scene. Yeah, I mean, that's a, another good thing about all the character relationships are, are really nice. You know, you believe Mario and Luigi is, like, these lovable brothers, you know? I, I think that was really great that there was so much love between those two. Um, it was it was just very pleasant to, to see. Um, and, yeah, ultimately, you, you get tons of references and things. There's a point where... You know, uh, it's the the call to action. There's a, a big leak that's happening in the city that's causing a flood. And, like, on the news is, like, the mayor of the city. And it's Pauline, you know, from the, the Donkey Kong gangs and Super Mario Odyssey. And, like, Ray, like, legit popped seeing uh, seeing Pauline. And then when you get to the to the wedding scene and you, you see, like, King bob and King Boo and, like, all these characters where it's like, oh, my God. Like, it's just, it, they're going all out and... It would have been really easy to do Goombas, Koopas, that's it. But when you're getting all these little different bits and pieces and, and combining it in there, it, uh, it it pays off, you know? Um, Dunkey did a review of this movie, it just came out today, and, you know, it's it's a it's a really, like, it, it, it makes the most sense for this film, where it's like, this is not going to be like a stellar, you know, Disney classic, you know, Pixar whatever, it is in the realm of minions, but it's fun, you know, like it's really fun and it's not annoying and there's not really like stuff that would get on your nerves while watching it. It's just kind of a colorful, fun hour and a half. And I think that's why it's making so much money is, you know, uh, parents are taking their kids and the kids are loving it and maybe they're going back again and again. And I mean, when I went you know, when the movie ended, kids were running around going, wahoo, and, and, you know, being Mario, when I went the following day to see Dungeons and Dragons, uh, you know, there was kids dressed up to go see the yeah. movie, like, this feels like the ultimate kids movie, like, that's, 
that's that's wonderful. You know, like there's it's unfortunate that there's this sort of like online brouhaha of like, oh, let kids have like fun films. It's like, no, kids deserve better films. And it's like, I don't think we need all that for the the Mario film. Like I saw someone comments of like, oh no, like this movie's success is gonna breed even more like mediocre video game adaptations. And it's like, well, what have we been doing for the past 30 years? Like, yeah, that's not where are new. all the good ones? Isn't that always the thing of, like, this is the first good one? Like, we say that over and over again. Yeah. Because I was thinking about, you know, Super Mario, they, they kind of nailed it on the first try. And unlike uh, Sonic, where the, the second film was a lot more, you know, had a lot more in common with the games than the first film did. And then I was thinking, oh, no, wait, we did have a Super Mario movie before, and they didn't <laughs> nail it the first time. So, yeah, yeah um, there you go. It's I don't think this is going to uh, breed terrible animated children's films. We already get tons of those. People just don't talk about them. Yeah, from the studio already. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, this this isn't new. And I, I, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world that, like, a kid's movie comes out and a bunch of kids like it. Like, I'm not saying that you have to like the film or think that it's good or anything like that. Like, if you came out of this and you're like, that was the dumbest, like, kid's movie I've ever seen, sure, that's fine. Like, I'm not going to blame you on that. But as someone who loves the Mario world and was, was happy just having a fun little romp for a little bit... Uh, I, I do think that it helps that it's Super Mario, who historically doesn't have a deep historical sort of lore to it, you know? Um, sure. You know, obviously, moving on from this, there's the thoughts of doing, like, a connected Nintendo universe. You know, people refer to, like, Smash Brothers, you know, like a big crossover event film. And it's like, ah, like, stuff like Metroid and Legend of Zelda, like, those have stories, you know, like, those have a bit more meat on their bones in terms of uh, a narrative and characters. Like, the Mario, for a good reason, are very simple. Um, I mean, Miyamoto famously is not a huge fan of stories in his games. But, like, there are game franchises out there, especially under Nintendo, that would not benefit from, you know, this kind of take. Like, you would, you would need, like... Like a like a Sony animation studio to do like a Metroid film if you wanted that to be stylistically appropriate or mm-hmm. you know something uh, years ago the the studio that did like the 2007 Ninja Turtles film you know they pitched a Zelda film that just never got picked up because I think then they released Astro Boy and they went out of business so <laughs> that didn't work out but like that tone could work for a Zelda film like th- that may have could have worked at a time but like. In terms of this, it's like you can do Donkey Kong. I'd be fine for a Donkey Kong romp. Obviously, people talk about Luigi's Mansion. Um, I mean, more Luigi. That's like one of the, the, the downsides of this film is Luigi's barely in it at one point. Like, he he gets sucked away into the dark world, and then we don't see him until the very end. So maybe a, a, a more you know c- comedy-based Haunted Mansion, Ghostbusters-type adventure that could be fun, but in terms of these other ones, I, I'm in no rush to see Illumination tackle all these other franchises. I don't think that's necessary. This was a fun movie. Let's leave it at that for now and see where it goes. Let's not rush this thing into an early grave by making people tired of like these Nintendo movies. Sure. Well, Anthony, where can people find you online? You can find me at Anthony Lantern on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd, as well as Anthony Reviews, where Anthony Reviews, um, I'm not sure when it'll be out. It'll be out 
within a month, I would assume. Uh, but I did record an episode of the Always Hold On to Smallville podcast, where I uh, was brought on to review the episode Injustice, which is the penultimate episode of Season 8. Uh, boy, that was one hell of an episode. You should tune in to see what we think of it, because it is uh, a doozy. So, yeah, I'd recommend checking that out when it comes out. Looking forward to hearing it. Uh, I'm at Kirk Beatty on Twitter and Letterboxd. Thanks for listening. Woohoo!